0: Yesterday, I was coaching my son's indoor soccer team, and there is a boy on the na- on, on the on the team. His name is Jonah. And so, before the game started, I, I looked at Jonah and I said, "Hey, Jonah." I purposefully said his name. I said, "Hey, hey, Jonah. I'm teaching at church tomorrow. Any guesses on what book of the Bible I'm going to be talking about?" Any thought about it. The whale. I said, yeah, I suppose. The book's actually called Jonah, but uh, it was kind of a gimme. I was trying to make it as easy as possible. But yes, he, he of course, puts the whale together with Jonah because uh, our entire lives, the, the, the book of Jonah is about Jonah and the whale. And some of you say, no, it's not about the whale. It's, it wasn't a whale. It was a fish. Right, it's a big fish. And, and some of you are going to be very concerned because I'm going to use the words whale and fish interchangeably. And it's going to really frustrate some of you because there's going to be a le- at least one person, in fact, you've already thought it. Uh, a whale is technically a mammal. It's not a fish. <laughs> right, uh, and I'm sorry. Uh, first of all, if you think I'm reading your mind, I am. So be careful what else you think. Um, <laughs> And no, you don't actually sound like that when you have that thought. Well, where else actually? That's not how you sound, you're okay. <laughs> Anyway, uh, to, to get us started, I thought we would throw a couple pictures up on the screen so that we can just reminisce about our childhood, about hearing about this story of Jonah and the whale. And this is, maybe these are the kinds of pictures that our kids are even seeing uh, in Sunday school today. And then uh, I want to suggest to you that the whale has almost nothing to do with this story. You could almost take the whale out and we have, we have the same story. So uh, let's see a couple of these pictures. This, uh, this, one is, this one is Jonah when uh, uh, he, had, he had just finished training the whale <laughs> uh, to, so he could ride on his nose. This is what we might call Sea World, sea world Jonah. Uh, so this picture I knew was going to be here, uh, I'm not sure what the other pictures are going to be. Gave them a little bit of freedom. Uh, oh, this one here, this is this is boo Jonah. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, I mean, at least the, 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 the fish had, has teeth, it's a little bit startling, you can see the storm all around him, but this is Jonah, like, okay, are you serious? Okay, let's go to the next one. Uh, oh, this, <laughs> this is reflective Jonah. Uh, and this is one of those, one of those big fish that you might find in the ocean that has a giant window on the side, so you can, act, you can actually see inside. Um, wow, what rosy cheeks Jonah has in this one. Uh, OK, let 's see the next one. Oh my! <laughs> this, <laughs> this is uh, enormous, enormously large top of the head whale. Uh, Look how ecstatic, he's so ecstatic he jumps out of there and begins the OHIO cheer. (laughs) Uh, Or maybe it's the YMCA, I don't know. Is this the last one or do we have another one? Okay, Uh, uh. Um, uh, uh-uh. This is the one that, there is no bird in the story. It's a very angry whale, I suspect, because uh, there's a bird on his head. I don't know. I don't know what to say about this, Jonah. Uh, Is this the last one? Okay, this is the last one. Thank you, production team. That was fun. So Jonah and the whale, but the interesting thing, if you really think about it, there there are other characters in the story, other animals even. In chapter four, we see animals and cattle mentioned several times. In fact, as many times as a whale is mentioned, and we'll get there in a little bit, the cattle actually play a significant part in the story, in my opinion. The whale doesn't. Um, God could have rescued him in any other way. You could take the whale out of the story, and we still get the message of Jonah, um, or we could have talked about the plant in chapter 4 as well. I'm sorry, the cattle are in 3 and 4. Uh, we could talk about the plant in chapter 4. We're going to talk about that in a bit. Jonah and the plant, or Jonah and the worm, the worm that ate the plant. But instead, at some point, some uh, children's educator thought, you know what we're going to do, we're actually we're going to pick the most terrifying part of the whole book of Jonah, and that's what we're going we're to call it Jonah and the fish, or Jonah and the whale, I mean, think about it. This is the part in the story that you probably shouldn't tell kids. Okay, kids, um, gather around. I wanna tell you about this, this, this guy named Jonah who uh, he, was, he was on a ship with these, these pagan sailors and in uh, this ferocious storm came along, all of them thought they were going to die. It was, it was a terrible storm, so terrible that they began trying to figure out, okay, whose God is, is angry here? And they, they, they cast lots, they find out it's Jonah, and so what they determine, first of all we find out, this is our first hint that Jonah has a death wish, and if you read chapter four, you see, I'm not kidding, Jonah has a death wish. He is not interested at in all in going to Nineveh. He does not want to see Nineveh repent because he knows God is a good and gracious God. And so, so, so children, uh, this is the part in the story where the guy with the death wish ends up suggesting he gets thrown over. So finally, they throw him over into the water to, to drown. The idea is that he's going to die here, but don't worry, uh, a giant fish comes and swallows him whole. And then we wonder why kids are afraid to go into the ocean. It's because of stuff like this, right? Uh, but it's okay. We, I say Jonah and the whale, you know what I'm talking about, or Jonah and the fish, you know what I'm talking about. We're talking about the book of Jonah here. Uh, What I want to do today, I want to offer, I want to offer some introductory thoughts about the book. And then I want to offer some, um, I want to tell the story a little bit. And then I want to kind of get into what I believe to be the main message of the book. So hopefully we, uh, hopefully we have enough time to accomplish this. Some introductory thoughts. First of all, Jonah is considered a a prophet in the Old Testament. He's he's up there with uh, guys like Amos and Joel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. But yet, his book is very different than all of the others. All of the others are uh, there's a message to Israel where it comes through the prophet. You know, there's language like this: "Thus says the Lord." Or, you know, he heard the word of the Lord and he said this. And it's about, it's about the spoken word of God through the prophet. But Jonah is very different. There's, only, there's a short one-sentence line that Jonah says, and it's not even to the people of Israel. In fact, it's to the people of Nineveh. So really, Jonah is a narrative about Jonah's life. Now, don't get me wrong, there is a prophetic message in it, and I want to make sure we get to that, a very deep, profound prophetic message that comes out of the narrative. But it's different altogether than other books, Another thing that I want to say about the book of Jonah, just very briefly, is that um, there is some argument in scholarship about whether or not Jonah, the, the story of Jonah, is a true story, whether it's history or whether it's a parable. And much of Christian scholarship actually falls to the side of saying, we, we think that this is a, a parable. Now, um, before you get upset at me even mentioning that, uh, I remember being an undergrad and taking Bible classes and hearing things like this and feeling like, what kind of atheistic Christian scholar is this? That they would even consider it to be a parable and not history. Well, believe it or not, these kinds of conversations happen a lot, and it doesn't change the message at all, really. I I happen to fall on the side where I believe this is history. Uh, and so some objections uh, to the book of Jonah are, one of them is first of all, it's inconceivable that a, a, a fish could, could swallow a man and that the fish, that, that, that the man could live inside of the fish for three days. Have you ever thought this kind of argument before? Like, this can't be real. Okay, um, I remember traveling in a vehicle with a, a guy who was a professed atheist, and we were having a conversation about faith, and he said, I just can't, he's like, that right there rules it out for me. And, and, and my immediate thought was, well, it's, there, there are certainly lots of steps of faith. You know, we have to exercise faith in order to believe, and if you have faith, this isn't hard at all. I mean, if you think about it, there are lots of things that are more challenging in Scripture for us to believe than, than this. What I mean by that, I mean, there's a talking donkey. There's a, a man's withered hand that, that stretches out. There is a bleeding woman that is healed. There are 5,000 people fed by a few loaves of fish, and loaves of fish, loaves of bread and fish. I mean, there are miracles all over the place. But what's interesting is that this one doesn't even have to be a miracle, if you think about it. I mean, if we believe in a God that created the heavens and the earth, and he creates this earth that is habitable for human beings in an inhabitable space. And he creates an environment where there's uh, an exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide, and there's water, and there's food to replenish and grow the body, and all of the things necessary, gravity, whatever. If we can believe that God can create that kind of habitable space, then it's not a stretch for us at all to think, Oh, God could also create a habitable space inside of an inhabitable environment called the sea. Especially when we think about the fact that human beings have created this. It's called a submarine. (laughs) This isn't challenging. This isn't challenging for God. Jonah is a historical figure. There's not argument about that. He's mentioned in 2 Kings as well as being a prophet. Uh, also, Nineveh. It's very true that it was a historical city, and for me, the clincher. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles here, you can uh, Matthew chapter twelve, verse forty-one. Jesus recognizes the historicity of Jonah. Chapter 12, actually starting at verse 40, it says, for just as Jonah, and if you have one of those red letter Bibles where it makes Jesus's words red letters, this would be red letters for you. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights, the son of man will be in the heart of the earth. So Jesus is referencing Jonah. Now still so far, He could just be referencing a parable, no problem. Once we get to verse 41, though, it says this. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah and see something greater than Jonah is here. Uh, Jesus seems to be pointing to a historical event that these Ninevites were real people, that there was a real repentance that took place. And so that's why I fall on, on, on this side very, very clearly. So let's, let's move past now some introductory thoughts about the book of Jonah. Let's get into the story. Because I don't want to assume that you all know the story. So what we're going to do, if you would like to follow along, uh, Jonah is it's toward the end of the Old Testament. It's maybe 20 pages in from the New Testament. Uh, so if you want to follow along, that would be great. I will probably turn there from time to time as well. Uh, Jonah, let me just read chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 to get us started. It says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Very clear directive from God. He wasn't asking Jonah. He was telling Jonah. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish. Jonah... Jonah runs. And he doesn't just run, he runs to Tarshish. So he was supposed to go east to Nineveh. Instead, he jumps on a ship to head toward Tarshish. Where's Tarshish? Tarshish is modern-day Spain. It's about as far west as he could have gone. He is wanting to run as far away as he can. In fact, we just got done studying the book uh, or the, the, the story about Noah. Tarshish was a city named after the great-grandson of Noah through the line of Japheth. So we have him running to Tarshish to escape. And how does he run? He, he hops on a boat with a bunch of pagan sailors. And while he was on his way, it says that the Lord sends a great wind and a great storm and it becomes so great that the sailors are terrified and Jonah is asleep in the bottom of the boat. Well, that's interesting. Maybe sometime, maybe next week, we'll come back and talk about that a little bit because there was another person in the New Testament that was asleep in the bottom of the boat. Maybe we won't. I don't know where I'm going with it next week, but I sure hope I know before I'm standing in front of you. (laughs) He's asleep in the bottom of the boat. Storm's raging. The sailors are terrified, and they say somebody's God is very angry with them. So they cast lots. They determined that uh, it must be Jonah, Jonah's fault. So Jonah's now awake, and they asked Jonah, what's going on? What what did you do? Who are you? And he said, I'm a Hebrew. I, I worship the God of the heavens who made the earth and the sea. And at this, they were terrified. And they said, what must we do to calm the seas? And he said, throw me overboard. Get rid of me throw me overboard in the raging sea and the, the seas will die down for you. Now, this is where we begin to see that these that, uh, something very interesting is happening for the Jewish reader. They are reading this. They are hearing this. And here's what they're hearing. Wait a minute. The pagans are about to be the good people in the story. <laughs> because what happens is they say, we can't, we can't throw you overboard. They're their concern for the sanctity of human life was apparently greater than Jonah's. So they try rowing back to shore. Well, they couldn't do it. So finally they said, may his blood not be on our hands. And they throw Jonah overboard. And then it says they immediately offer sacrifices and vows to Yahweh. We see The sailors, the pagan sailors doing what the Hebrews were supposed to be doing. And we see the Hebrew being faithless. So Jonah gets thrown into the sea and he's wandering around in the sea. Who knows what happens there uh, in that moment. And the next thing we know, that giant fish comes along, swallows him whole. He's in the belly of the whale. We're now in chapter 2. He's in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. And chapter two for us is this prayer that he speaks or prays, and eventually it gets written down and included in his story by the author. And it's in this prayer, and his praise to God, where he ends up saying, God, you are a God who delivers, and I will do what I made my vow to do. And at that, it says, God speaks to the whale or the fish, and the fish spews Jonah onto dry land. Jonah is now on dry land. He must be very thankful at this point. He experiences God's grace in a very miraculous way in his own life. And God looks at Jonah again and says, okay, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Preach to them. And Jonah says, "I'll go." But we're going to find out that while Jonah goes to Nineveh, it's a very reluctant obedience. We're now in chapter three. In chapter three, he goes to Nineveh, the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh is it is the capital of Assyria. The Assyrians were they were the worst. You know, we sometimes say that person's the worst or that group's the worst. They really were the worst. <laughs> they were violent. They were aggressive. They were an adulterous nation. They were a tremendous threat to, to, to Israel, the nation of Israel, to their national security. They were awful people, torturous, hated by the Hebrews, Jonah included, He goes to the great city of Nineveh and it says he begins walking for three days and into day one, he starts to preach. And here's his message. Chapter three, verse four. And he cried out, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 40 days more, and none of us shall be overthrown. I think that was eight words. You know what we call this? The worst sermon ever. <laughs> this, is, this is not good preaching. This is not very eloquent. He, he doesn't, he doesn't, tell them what it means he doesn't want to tell them what it means he only wants to preach judgment to them we we're getting even more glimpses into his heart he's doing the bare minimum here it reminds me and i'm i'm going to this is fictional here maybe you at some point as a child were like me and sometimes you were a little bit reluctant to be obedient to your parents and if that's too far back for you to think, maybe you can think about your own kids if you have kids in times where they had some reluctant obedience. Uh, I'm going to, again, this is a fictional story, but it paints the picture, and all of you will be like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Imagine you're in your living room, and imagine your son's name is Billy, and uh, you look at Billy, and, and you say, Billy... I have told you four times today get your blankie out of the living room, because at this point you're a little agitated. You're not being nice anymore. Get your blankie off the floor of the living room and take it to your room. You've been there, fourth time, you're agitated. And so Billy is watching TV, he gets up slowly. He grabs the edge of his blanket, the rest of it's hanging on the ground, slowly walks over to the stairs with his eye like half on you to make sure you're not coming up behind him to spank him. Also, just to make sure you're seeing that he's doing this very reluctantly, his heart's not in it. He he mopes on over to the stairs, he gets to the stairs and instead of walking up the stairs, gets on his hands and his knees. Dragging the blanket all the way up the stairs, he gets up to his room and he crosses the threshold where his door is into his room, And just as he gets in, he drops the blanket and then walks downstairs. And about this much of the blanket is inside of the room. The rest of the blanket is still in the hallway outside of the room, because he wants to make sure he wants to make sure he can say, "It is in my room." This is Jonah's message to Nineveh. It is the bare minimum. This is Jonah, like, okay, I'll go, but my heart's not in it, just so you know. And what happens after these eight words? It says, Nineveh repents. What? How? By the grace of God. It's beautiful. Sometimes you and I are so terrified to do the work of God. Sometimes we are so reluctant. Sometimes we feel so disqualified. And in some ways, it doesn't matter. God even used a reluctant heart. He even used a terrible message for his glory. God can use you. So the Ninevites, they repent and and all of a sudden the king gets word and the king issues a proclamation and he says, listen, all of Nineveh, repent. Wear sackcloth, grieve, moan, don't eat anything. And then he says, in fact, don't even feed the cattle. Don't even feed the animals. They are going to fast along with us. I have a dog at home. (sighs) I have a dog at home, not because I want a dog at home, (laughs) but because I love my family and my family wants a dog at home. I oftentimes work from home and uh, our dog, of course, knows that when she gets up in the morning, she gets let out and then she eats right away and she runs up to her food with her tail doing her thing and everything. One o'clock rolls around, and she knows it's about eating time. In fact, sometimes by 12 or 12:15 p.m., she knows it's about eating time. And so she sits by the door where we're going to feed her and starts to whine. And I can hear it no matter where I'm at in the house, and it just, like, I feel it in my body. Instantly, like, I'm tense. This noise is awful. And so to imagine them not feeding their cows and their pigs and their chickens and the kind of awful noise that would have been happening all over the city, and they did it on purpose, these people were serious. (laughs) They were repenting. Jonah is disgusted at this. In fact, he... He walks out of the city disgusted. He walks to the east of the city, and it says that he makes a booth for himself to provide some sort of shade. And he wants to wait out there just to see what happens. He had just told them 40 more days, and of is going to be destroyed. He's fully prepared to sit out there for 40 days, hoping this city is destroyed. My guess is before he left his hometown, he grabbed a little bit of popcorn, stuck it in his pocket. And at this point with the scorching heat, he's gonna set it out and just kind of sit there and just wait. But yet he knows what God is going to do and that's why he's so disgusted. He said, God, the reason I didn't want to go is because I knew that you were a good and gracious God. Nineveh repents. Jonah's now sitting out, having this kind of conversation with God. He's, and God is saying, you know, why are, why are you so angry? And Jonah expresses himself and says, God, I would rather die. Just let me die. Let me go right here. I can't handle this grace of yours for Nineveh, these people that are awful. How could you do this? And so while he's out there in the scorching heat experiencing some sort of shade from the booth, it says that God then grows up a plant in one day. He grows up this plant, this bush that provides even more shade for Jonah. In Jonah, it's obvious, it's evident from the story. He's grateful for this. It doesn't say this, but he's probably thinking things like, that's right, God. It's about time you offered grace to me, your chosen person. It's about time you see me out here and grow up a plant and remember who your prophet is. So he enjoys this shade. And then you know the story. The next day he gets up, a worm has come along. God sent a worm to chew at the base. The the, the bush falls over, it withers, is gone. And then to boot, God sends a wind that must have blown over the booth because now it says Jonah is sitting there with the sun scorching on his head. And he's miserable and he's angry again. God, why would you do this? And God says, why do you pity the plant? Do you, think, do you think Jonah at this point was concerned about this living organism? God, how could you do this to the plant? This poor plant grip grew up overnight, how can you take its life? No, Jonah was concerned about the plant because of what it did for him. And God says, you're concerned about this plant, but I'm concerned about Nineveh, an entire city of people, an animals. shouldn't I be concerned about this? And then boom, the story's over. That's Jonah one through four. We don't know what happens to Jonah next. We don't know what kind of decision he makes. Nowhere else in scripture does it say that we should know what decision he made. And that's not the point. And I'll get to the point in a minute. Before I do, I want us to take Jonah, this book of Jonah that we're studying, and I want us to put it over here on this music stand. We're gonna tie a bow around it, package it up. Okay, it's over here. I think I just tied a double knot accidentally. I don't know how to do a bow. (laughs) I was actually, uh, I auditioned for a play when I was in college and I was, uh, I got the position as a mime. Uh, So that's why that was so good. (laughs) Uh, The odd thing about this part in the play is that it was a mime who talked. I had speaking parts. And uh, it was called a 10-minute play festival. And and I got part way through, and I accidentally skipped about five minutes of it and ended up at the end because my memory failed me in the moment. And so for us, it became a five-minute play. Um, But uh, I'm not sure why I went down that. Anyway, we're packaging. Jonah is over here. Uh, We're we're heading into the New Testament now, Luke chapter 15. If you want to turn there, uh, that would be just fine with me. Uh, Luke chapter 15 has a very interesting story that is very similar, has a very similar point. In fact, there are three stories I'm going to run through very quickly. Luke chapter 15, if you look at verse 1, the very first parable you're going to see is the parable of the lost sheep. Yes. Jesus, he's sitting down with some teachers of the law and scribes. These are the good people. And gathered there also are the sinners and the tax collectors, the bad people. (laughs) And Jesus is sitting with them there, and and he says this. He says, imagine there's a shepherd. The shepherd has 100 sheep. One of them goes astray. It's lost. Wouldn't the shepherd leave the 99 and go after the one that's lost? And when he finds it, after searching high and low, he would take that sheep. He would put it over his shoulders. He would come home and he would call all of his friends and his family so that they can celebrate together. That the one who was lost is now is found. And the good people and the bad people are sitting there listening to Jesus. And the the bad people are starting to hear this and they're saying, wow, okay, so... So the shepherd goes out and looks for the one who's lost. And the, while they're still thinking, Jesus tells a second parable. You'll see it there. This is the parable of the lost coin. He says this. He says that a woman, she had 10 coins. She lost one of her 10 coins. And she's so disturbed by it, so bothered by it, that she turns on a lamp And she goes to the house, turning it over, sweeping, looking for this lost coin everywhere, high and low. And she finally finds the coin. And she's so excited that she calls all of her friends and her family to say, hey, let's celebrate. I found the lost coin. And then Jesus makes a point. As excited as she is about finding the one lost coin, wouldn't God the Father be excited by any sinner that comes home to repent? And the bad people listening in, they're hearing that Jesus is beginning to offer an invitation of grace. But not just an invitation of grace. He's saying that the the shepherd or the woman, they're actively going out searching for the sheep. They are actively going out searching for the coin. And then Jesus says, I've got one more for you. This is the story of the prodigal son. He says there was a father. This father had two sons, an older one and a younger one. That's the way that works usually. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all day. The, uh, the younger one, not all day. I'm going to leave in a little bit. The younger one is the one that we call the prodigal son, okay, the spendthrift son. He comes to his father and he says, Father, uh, I want half of my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you, I want half of my inheritance now and I'm going to go live my life. In other words, Dad, I don't care about our relationship at all. I just only want you for what you can give me. And it says that the father did it. The father gives him his inheritance. I love the way Adam brought Romans chapter one into the story of Noah a few weeks ago. He said this, he said that wrath is God giving us over to what we want. Wrath is God giving us over to the desires of our heart. This father is exercising wrath here. He knows it's not best for the son, but he sends him off, he gives him what he wants so that in his wrath, hopefully he will go and he will learn and come back. The son goes off, you know the story, he goes off, he squanders everything, spends it all, it's completely gone, he's hanging out with the pigs and he begins to think, wait a minute, there are servants in my father's house that are living better than I am. And so finally, he builds up the courage to go home. And it says that he comes home. When his father sees him in the distance, what does the father do? It says the father runs to him. The father must have been grieving the relationship. The father must have been waiting all of this time, hoping for this kind of moment. The father must have been so upset. So sad. He sees the son coming home. It says he runs out to the son. He hugs him. He kisses him. He welcomes him. And he looks at the servants and he says, Go, kill the fatted calf. We're going to throw a celebration. We're throwing a party because my son, who had gone away, he had, he's now come home. So they, they go in, they begin to make preparations so they can celebrate this younger son who has come home. Because he once was lost and now is found. The bad people, they hear this and they say, oh my goodness. God wants to welcome us home. We're not so lost. We can come home anytime. And at this point, the scribes, the Pharisees are beginning to think, well, that's not fair at all. It's not fair that he can go off and spend it all and come back and still have a place in the home of the father. That's not fair at all. Jesus goes on. Just when you think the story's over, Jesus goes on. He says, oh, yeah, wait, wait, by the way, before you go, remember the older son? The older son is out in the field working. He's, a, he's working diligently because that's what he does. He's responsible. He has always served the father well. And he begins to maybe smell the scent. He begins to hear some music and a party going on. And a slave comes by and he's like, hey, what's, what's going on in there? And the, sla- the slave's like, guess what? You're going to love this. Your brother has come home, and we're going to celebrate because he once was lost, and now he's found. He's come home. And what does it say? The older brother is angry. He is upset. Jonah, he is so upset because he can't reconcile the grace of God for people that are awful. Why was Jonah, why did he ever receive the grace of God? Because it's the grace of God. What did Jonah do? Well, he was born into as a Hebrew. What did the Hebrews do? Nothing. They received the grace of God, that's all. The older brother, he's standing there. Father comes out looking for him. Wait, wait. The father comes out looking for him? We have the shepherd going out to look for the sheep. We have the woman who lost the coin. She turns over the house looking for the coin. We have the son who goes away, spends all of his money. The father doesn't go looking for him. The father goes out and looks for the lost one, the older son. Was the prodigal son lost? Yes, he was lost, but he he knew he was lost. That is much less dangerous than being lost and not knowing you're lost. If I go into the woods for three nights on a backpacking trip, and if on day one I get lost and I stray off the trail, and I'm far from civilization but I don't know it, and I think I'm going to end up on my, my car on day three, and I don't know I'm lost, that's very dangerous. It's much more dangerous than if I realize right away I'm lost and I start to figure out how to get back. The older son doesn't even know he's lost. The father comes out to him. The son looks at him and says, how can you do this? I have worked well for you my whole life. I've done everything right. What do you hear here? What is making him lost? He's done everything right. What's making him lost is his self-righteousness. His pride, his sense of entitlement. What is making Jonah lost in this moment? His pride, his self-righteousness, his sense of entitlement. And the Father, God, looking at them, trying to extend grace. He has come to them trying to extend grace. He wants them to experience the party. He wants Jonah to experience the party about to happen in Nineveh. He wants the son to experience the party about to happen inside, but because they are so miserable, so lost, so angry, so lost in pride and self-righteousness, so unable to reconcile God's grace for all, they are standing outside looking in. Our God has a missionary heart. As we look at the story of Jonah, we're not celebrating the missionary Jonah. We're celebrating the missionary God. And we can either join him in his mission which means we have to understand in some part his grace for us. We have to receive it and accept it and believe it. We either accept the missionary heart or we miss his heart. If wrath can be defined this way, wrath is God giving us over to what we want then maybe a good working definition of grace is this, God giving us what he wants. Let's pray. You are a good and gracious God. Jonah wasn't wrong there. Your ways are beyond what we can understand, Lord. You are love. You are grace. You are peace. You are joy. And God, in this moment, I pray that whoever is sitting here, whether it's a person that is like a person from Nineveh that has never known you, Lord, would their heart be open to your grace that may be moving in their hearts right now. And Lord, if there's someone in this room like the prodigal son who has known you but who has strayed away and you have given them over to the desires of their hearts, God, would you speak grace and love to them? And God, for those of us that are so much like the Pharisees and scribes, as much as we don't want to admit it, for those of us that are so much like Jonah and it's so deep and hidden that we we don't even think we are like them at the moment, Lord, would you reveal your grace to us in new and profound ways? Would we receive you? Would we all know you? in a more fresh way, in a new way, amen.